Let's turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Exodus, chapter 33. Let me give you some time uh, to flip there. Exodus, chapter 33. We're going to be reading from verses 1 through 18. 1 through 18. Yeah, and something that um, we haven't done in a while. Uh, can we all stand together for the reading of the word? Yeah, let's all stand together for the reading of scripture. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Uh, The word of God says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Ouch. Verse 4. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, And each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too, that this nation is your people. And he said, verse 14, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
For the past couple of weeks, um, earlier this month, we used, we had a class called Reorient. It was on Saturdays, and a few of you guys joined. Every week, we touched on the topic of the famous phrase in the Christian circle, to be in the world, but not of it, right? To be salt in this land, but not be to shingoa or to cha, right? <laughs> to be relevant, they say. To have the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other, right? To be in the world, but not of it. And the reason why this class was so important is because all of us, every single person here, we are affected with many layers of what we call culture, right? We are affected by many of these layers. And for us as believers, we are all in this pilgrim journey, journeying and living this short life here, short relative to eternity. And in this life, we have to be woke, Right? Turn to your neighbor and say, get woke. <laughs> Some of you guys, literally, right now, wake up, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. So what this means is this. To be woke as a believer here on this earth is to be aware of what Paul calls the patterns of this world. He also calls it the spirit of the age. Talking about how culture of this time and this age affects us as believers. Ideally, you guys will say yes and amen to, hey, how about the culture of the kingdom like yeast affect the world? Right? Yes and amen. But we have to be humble enough to admit, and I'll be the first to admit, that actually a lot of the layers of the culture of the world affect me. And affect how I do this church thing. And one of the classes that we took in the Reorient class, one of the layers of culture that we have to be woke to is this ideology and philosophy that began in the early 1600s. Well, actually, it began since the beginning of time. But it got coined as an official word in the beginning of the 1600s. And that is called this fancy word called progressivism. Can we all say progressivism? Progress. A progressive-ism, all right? Progressivism. And let me read this. Progressivism is, is, is this. The idea that advancements in technology, science, and social organization can result in an improved human condition, right? Uh, without going too deep into it, what progressivism is actually is, it's a philosophy that was birthed under a wider ideology called humanism. Humanism, which is the exaltation of the, of the strength and wisdom and rationale of man. Right? Now, this ideology that starts permeating society called progressivism, the, the fact, you know, progress toward the human condition and society... My question I want to ask is this. Is it bad? Is it bad, right? You guys are not responding with anything. <laughs> is it bad? Is progressivism bad, right? Because when I read the definition, the idea that advancements in technology, science, and social organization can result in an improved human condition, I would venture to say that it's not bad. It's not bad in and of itself. But what we've come to realize is underneath that, what we see is 
there's something else going on. It's not just the discovery of human, discovery of human intelligence. Actually, that's something to praise God for, right? We are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? And we are discovering more and more of that. But something else that is happening underneath that is, it's the elevation of it, but then the avoidance of what? The dependence on God. Dependence on God. I know it's a little heady here, but stick with me. So there's this word called progress. Progress, right? And there's words that's associated with this word progress. And this progress is the movement towards a refined, improved, or otherwise desired state. So other words that are associated with the word progress is advancement, right? These are some feel-good words. I love these words also, right? Advancement, right? Forward movement, expansion, fruitfulness, prosperity, right? Are these all good things? It's not a trick question. Yeah, it's a good thing, right? <laughs> Stop being, don't get all religious on me, all right? All right. <laughs> these are all good things, right? Progress is a good thing. Is progress bad? No. Progress is not bad. Actually, Progress is a part of God's plan. Progress is actually of God. Because when you read and understand the grand narrative, the grand story of God, the Bible begins in a garden, right? But it ends as a city, right? So the resources of the garden, somehow it ends up being a city through the use of human agents. That's the in-between, you see, the Bible, God is a God of progress, right? Now, what we see here is in the end, we know the end of the story. God's kingdom is going to fully come. The new Jerusalem, right? The city of God is going to come on earth as it is in heaven. What must happen between the beginning and that time? Progress must happen, right? The Bible has all these undertones of progress, Verses like forgetting what lies behind and striving towards what is ahead, right? Other stuff like forgetting the former things and God is doing a new thing. Let's move forward. Let's move on. Progress. And this, this doctrine of, this is another fancy word, this doctrine called sanctification. Sanctification, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to transform us to become more like Christ is that not progress? Is that not progress? Right? Have, you ever heard, have you ever heard or prayed this prayer? God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer of progress. That's a prayer of progress. Kingdom expansion is a prayer of progress. Right? Now, even in our everyday living, we are actually wired for progress. We're made in the image of God. We're wired for progress. At our jobs, we desire promotion, right? <laughs> Raise your hand if you desire promotion at your jobs. Raise your hand if you desire prosperity in your life. Yeah, I'm going there, all right? All right? See, in our, we desire promotion, and promotion is not bad. 
Because if promotion was bad, then characters in the Bible, such as Joseph, Daniel, and, 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 and David, would not be such great examples, you know? Promotion is a good thing. We should desire to be in positions of influence. Everybody say influence. To live out and exemplify the values of the kingdom. Right? That's what we should want. Progress is important. Why are we talking about progress and progressivism after reading Exodus chapter 33? And it's because of this. We live in a day where we have progressed so much scientifically, technologically, and socially. But have we we really progressed in the quality of life? Right? Have we really progressed in the quality of life? We seem to be more disconnected than ever. We seem to be more and more aware of mental and emotional, right? Mental and emotional health. It seems to be more of an awareness of the effects of this. Are we becoming, are we progressing as humans, right? I remember uh, when I was living in uh, Gambia for two years in West Africa, I remember that time changed my life because I grew up in America And when I lived in Gambia for two years, what ended up happening is everything that I thought was necessary in my life began to be stripped away. And at first, it was so hard, right? I missed Facebook. I missed, like, all these things. But what I I experienced was a pure, unadulterated society where, not like completely pure, but purer, society where we got to experience being human, connecting with each other without the need for settlers of Catan and certain board games. You know what I mean? Like human to human where it's not uncomfortable just to be. That was healing for me, right? Have we progressed? I believe this. Here's my main point today. I believe that the problem problem is not progress. The problem is progress without God's presence. Progress without God's presence. Do we live a progress-centered life or a presence-centered life? And if you're humble enough to admit, our sin nature draws us to live a progress-centered life without God's presence. Right? So, are we progressing in a worldly sense or a godly sense? Okay, a worldly sense or a godly sense? In Exodus chapter 33, what we just read is what is happening here is that the people of God are in this place called the desert or the wilderness, right? The desert or the wilderness. And what's happening is God told them, so Moses climbs this mountain, Mount Sinai, and God speaks to him like um, uh, someone speaks to a friend. And then he tells Moses, what's going to happen is you're going to cross the Jordan River and you're going to step into this land called the promised land. Everyone say promised land. And the Bible, as we read, it describes it as the land flowing with milk and honey. Right? I could care less for milk and honey right now. But at the time, that represents, you know, prosperity, resources. It represents a land of plenty. You see, the promised land, it actually is progress for these people. Isn't it? Right? So, Moses is... The thing is, Moses' generation, they actually didn't get to go into the promised land. It was the next generation. Joshua's generation got to enter into the promised land. 
And here's why. You see, let's rewind some more. The people of God, the Israelites, this is what happened. They came out of a lifestyle and worldview of progress. Because they were living in this land and nation called Egypt. Right? They were living in Egypt where progress was sought out via slavery under Pharaoh. You see, Egypt was a superpower. And Pharaoh used slavery to build its, to flex its muscles, pyramid after pyramid. Right? And what did they do? They also was a polytheistic society, so they worshipped different deities. And actually, much like different religions today, the idea was do these favors and do these things and worship the deities in this way in order to gain favor for blessing. Why for blessing? For progress. Egypt, in their minds, right, as slaves, it's, this is what life is. It's about progress. It's about flexing your muscles, right? Now, so you can imagine their mindsets. And here's the thing. I always say this in different sermons. So you can take a person out of slavery, but you have to take the slavery out of them. You see, because after 430 years of slavery, God didn't deliver them through Moses straight into the promised land. God delivered them into the wilderness. 40 years of desert wanderings. Why? The time in the desert, it was essential for God to establish some things in their hearts. In the same way, it takes time for God to take out certain mentalities even in our hearts, in our minds, when God delivers us from our Egypts. Our sinful tendency... Here's the reality. Our sinful tendency is to progress without God, even within the church, right? So what happened? What happened in the desert? God was reintroducing, or should I say, introducing himself to the Israelites because their view of God is totally, completely, completely different than who Yahweh was. God was renewing their operating system changing their view of God. So God provides quail, right? I always wonder what that tastes like, right? God provides quail, manna, bread, water, daily. He provides all these necessary things. And he introduces himself to his people as Jehovah Jireh. Hey, I am the God who provides. He's teaching them how to trust him and depend on him in the wilderness, Next, God protects his people against the Amalekites, against other people. God protects them and God fights for them. And God introduces himself to his people as another name, Jehovah Nisi. God is my banner. God is my victory. God is the one who fights for me. Pharaoh don't do that, right? Now God provides the law. He provides the Ten Commandments. He provides all these other laws. He provides a law because he wants to distinguish and separate and consecrate his people. Right? So the law is given for God's glory and for their good. Right? So he's trying to sanctify them. And he introduces himself by another name. This is a little bit harder. Jehovah Mekadashem, which means God the sanctifier. 
God the sanctifier. And then last but not least, in the desert, God gives instructions to build this building called the tabernacle. And the reason why God instructs this is because God's heart is saying, I want to be with you, my people, to dwell with you. So he introduces himself by another name, Jehovah Shammah, which means God who is present. So in this desert, you see how God is trying to renew their minds, reorient them to the reality of heaven. God's doing the same thing with us. I think it makes sense when people say, hey, I'm in a wilderness season. I'm in a desert season, right? Like it feels dry these days, da 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 Yeah, that makes sense. But actually, if you want to see it in a bigger picture, actually all of us are in the desert season. Because the true promised land is not our progress here in this life. The true promised land is heaven coming down and Jesus coming, coming back, reigning once and for all. That's the true promised land. You and I are pilgrims in this lifetime right now. And in this pilgrim journey, God is teaching us individually and as a church, hey, I am your provider. I gave you that job. You didn't earn it. I gave you that job, right? I gave you that pink shirt. <laughs> He's teaching us, I am Jehovah Nisi. I'm going to fight for you. I'm for you and not against you. He's teaching us, I am Jehovah Mekadeshem. I'm sanctifying you. You're going to glow. You're going to be radiant like Christ. Jehovah Shammah. Jesus even promised, I will be with you to the very end of the age. The glorious desert, a.k.a. life. <laughs> right. So in short, the purpose of the wilderness was to establish intimacy and to prioritize what is most important. His presence. His presence. So let's understand it like this. Egypt was a place of prioritizing progress. The wilderness was a place of prioritizing his presence. The promised land was actually is a place of progress with his presence. Progress with his presence. Because what happens is, what would have happened if they got delivered out of Egypt and went straight into the promised land. Would they have a proper understanding of God? Um, amen. <laughs> so, what happened before Exodus 33? This is really interesting. It's interesting that when Moses was up on that mountain, God was giving all these directions, specific directions of how to build this tabernacle. Because God is saying, I want to be with you. I want to be, my presence wants to be with you. I want relationship. I want intimacy. God is saying all these directions and all these Ten Commandments and all these laws. And the very last thing that God tells to Moses, and it says here in Scripture, it says in 30, uh 31 verse uh, 13, it says, You are to speak to the people of Israel, say, Above all, above all, you shall keep the Sabbath. Now catch that. On that mountaintop, God is giving instructions to Moses for all these things. And then in the end, he says, Above all, 
you guys must keep the Sabbath. You guys must rest. Why? Because they're used to being slaves, right? You guys must rest. Because rest signifies that you're depending on me and that you trust me. Right? You see, rest is commanded for our good. And if you were to be honest, in this society, in this life, it's hard to rest. It takes hard work to rest well. <laughs> right? It takes hard work. Sabbath is needed to reorient our dependence upon God. I like to call it presence-centered realignment. Realigning our lives, realigning our minds, realigning our hearts. Away from progress orientation. And realigning it unto presence orientation where we're saying hey there's a different reality that i'm called to live by this heavenly reality right so moses is hyped he's like yes yes he's so excited to share this good news that god wants to be with them he goes down the mountain and then it's it's crazy down there (laughs) he goes down this mountain what does he see He's about to tell them God wants to be with us. God wants to be. He wants his tabernacle with us. But what do they see? They see him. They see them worshiping a golden calf. What up, Moses? Let's worship this thing, right? They get their ornaments. They get their golden earrings and and necklaces that they got from Egypt. They melt it together and they worship this golden calf. Because while they're down there, they're like, Moses, you're, t- you're spending too much time with God up there. <laughs> they're thankful and they're praising God. They're singing the song of Moses when they come out of, when they cross the Red Sea out of Egypt. They're praising God and all of a sudden the next moment they're complaining to God. And they say things like, I might as well, I would rather go back to Egypt. I'd rather go back to Egypt. Why? Because from Egypt to this wilderness, in their point of view, it's not progress. It's not progress. It's not progress. So, what happens? Here's something that we can learn from this. Without a healthy understanding of progress, whether it's godly progress or uh, worldly progress, we will eventually end up being offended by God and maybe even leaving God whenever suffering and pain is experienced in our lives. Because if we have a worldly view of progress, whenever suffering and pain happens in our lives, we don't think that's progress. But a godly perspective on progress, right? We'll realize that pain and suffering is part of the equation to our real progress. Christ-likeness is our progress. Amen? In this passage, the Israelites, they didn't get it. But we see that Moses got it. Moses was woke. Moses was woke, right? Because on the other side of the Jordan, when God was telling him, you can go in the Jordan, milk and honey, right? Other side of Jordan, land flow with milk and honey, progress, riches, comfort, blessings, and all these things. And then they come down, and after idolatry, God says to the Israelites, go, go to the land. Go to the land flowing with milk and honey. Go into the promised land. But I ain't going with you. Because you stiff-necked people, right? You stubborn people. 
You can go have your progress. But I'm not going with you. My presence is not going with you. Right? While the people sought progress, Moses sought God's presence. Because he went into... What what does he do next? He went into the tent of meeting to be in his presence. And what we find interesting here is in verse 11. While Moses is in the tent of meeting, in the presence of God, being with God, what what happens is when he leaves the tent and walks away, the people continue to follow Moses, but there's someone that does stay at the door of the tent, and that is Joshua. It says here in verse 11 that Joshua stayed he caught it. He was woke. That it's all about his presence. It's all about his presence. Moses' heart. And he says this. If your presence does not go with me, I don't want to go. If your presence, if we don't have your presence, we don't want the promised land. If we don't have your presence, we don't want the milk and honey. We don't want that progress. We'd rather have your presence. That's what Moses is saying here. Moses was a presence-centered man. And it sounds kind of like the heart of Paul, the apostle. When he says, I consider all this I have achieved, all this progress, all of my resume, all the things that I've achieved, I consider all that rubbish, crap, Compared to what? Knowing Jesus. Compared to his presence. Presence-centered living. And then, I love it, verse 14. God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. That feels good to hear. But when I read it, I was a little confused. I was confused because I know that when you keep reading the passage, what happens is they go into the promised land. And it's not like the promised land was handed to them on a silver platter. There was storms after storms waiting for them. They had to fight. They had to battle against people that they've never met before. People 50 times size of them, you know. What do you mean, God, you're going to give them rest? But here's what I learned. Does rest come from the promised land? Does rest come from the progress? Or does rest come from his presence? I'll say that again. Does rest come from our progress? Or does rest come from his presence? It wasn't handed to them on a silver platter. And here's what I learned. I learned that it's in his presence, right, where... We get to be in the eye of the storm. It's in his presence that even though all this crazy stuff is happening after they cross the Jordan, they still have access and the grace to choose to be in God's presence, much like all of us do here. Your progress will not give you rest. Your achievements will not give you rest. It's his presence that will give you rest. Very contrary to the ways of this world. And I say yes and amen. We all say yes and amen. But it's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> Man, really? Does this pre- if I take five minutes to close my eyes and breathe and acknowledge his presence, will that give me rest? 
Yes, it will. But it's so hard to believe, isn't it? Right? See, there's one thing to pursue progress without God, which is what we read here in the Israelites. Pursuing progress without God. But let me take it another step further. It's another thing to pursue progress using God. Pursue progress using God. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, we find a very interesting story later on in their history. We find that the people of God, the Israelites, are going out and they're experiencing progress. Conquest after conquest, right? They're expanding. They're getting, you know, the promised land or whatever. And what's happening is they finally fight these people called the Philistines. And they go up and they fight against the Philistines and they get whooped. They lose Matter of fact, 4,000 people die. What do they do? They have the right idea. They pursue God's presence. They say, hey, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was an artifact in the tabernacle that represented God's presence with them. The Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God. Bring the Ark of the Covenant. Jehovah Nisi. God, our banner, you know? So they bring, and then they, what do they do? They start shouting like crazy. They start making all these crazy sounds. And the Philistines, for a moment, they get a little bit intimidated. Their knees are shaking a little bit. Oh, they brought the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, no. And then I'm reading this. I'm getting hyped. I'm like, I know what's going to happen. And I read it, and it didn't happen. What happened? The Israelites, they lose even worse. They lose 10,000 people. They not only lose more resources, but th- what else did they lose? They lost God's presence. The Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. You see, we see here in this passage that the people of God, they're trying to figure things out. Here we see an example of them trying to use the power of God for their own progress. Right? They were using God's presence for the progress. How many times do we ask God's power and presence to move in order to advance our lives? And I'll be the first to admit, as a pastor, as doing this vocation, I've prayed many times, God, pour out your spirit. God, move in power. God, your presence, come fire and all these things. Because we, I want this church to progress and like be an influence You know, there's some pure-hearted thing going there, but there's impure things going on in there too, right? And doing this is not necessarily a bad thing, but Monday through Saturday that week, I didn't pursue God's presence at all. I'm not saying this in a legalistic sense. I'm just saying in my heart, there are times when even righteous things, even church things, progressivism can take place in my heart, you know? Is this making sense? Right? It's only in God's presence that we will be anchored to steward progress. Steward progress rather than becoming slaves to progress. Okay? Rather than being slaves. So, progress without God. Progress using God. But what we want here is progress with God's presence. Where we don't just do things for God or through God, but with God. Right? We want to live our lives where progress around us is a byproduct of us prioritizing God's presence. Right? We want to live life not just for God, but through God, but with God. I said that. I'm reading it again right here. Right? 
So here's the thing. He also said, um, if you read Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, I'll read it. It's God commands before they cross over into the promised land. Remember Joshua's generation, they got to cross over into the promised land, milk and honey, right? God says to Joshua this thing. He says, meditate on the book of the law day and night, right? And do all that is written in it. Then God will make his way prosperous and they will have good success. Sounds a lot like progress to me. We need to make sure our hearts and motives are pure before him. And here's the principle. When we pursue a present-centered life in our hearts, God will bring the progress. God will bring the progress. We should be so wrapped up in living out the greatest commandment, right, that we don't even notice how much progress is actually happening around us. God will do it as long as we prioritize his presence. This is godly progress. When we live a present-centered life, progress happens not pro- progress happens from the inside out. In God's point of view, progress, yes, it is important in society, but actually God's looking at our hearts. And that can only happen when we pursue his presence. Even King David, he we saw we see much progress in his life, but if anyone King David was a present-centered man. This is really cool. God commanded and told Moses to build a tabernacle and gave him directions. You know what I love about David? David made this crazy huge temple for God's presence and for worship to happen, 24-7 worship to happen. But you know God didn't command David to do it. You know David's heart loved God so much but he said to he said to God, God, how is it that how is it that I get to live in something like this as a king? But what about you, God? And he builds this crazy worship place temple for God. God didn't even command him to do that. He pursued God's presence. Right? So when it comes to this idea of promised land, this idea of promised land. I said it earlier today. God used Joshua to lead God's people into the promised land. Joshua's name, Yeshua, right? His name actually means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. God used Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. But for us, if we want to extrapolate this, if we want to see the grand narrative in this story, is what it's talking about. For us, this life is a sense, in a sense, is a wilderness life. We're on the pilgrim journey, and it's the greater Yeshua, Jesus Christ, that we get to enter into what Hebrews chapter 3 says, we get to enter into God's rest, the real promised land. The new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God coming and making all things new. This is godly progress, and it'll only it'll, it will only take place because of what? Because the faithfulness of Jesus. Because of the faithfulness of Jesus, it is because of Jesus that we have the privilege of His presence. 
It is because of Jesus that our rest comes from the progress that he achieved and the sure victory that he will bring when he returns. Progress that is rooted in his goodness, in his providence, in his sovereignty. is because of Jesus we will enter into the promised land. And we know the end of the story. In the meantime, brothers and sisters, as we're enjoying this desert together, <laughs> in the meantime, we are invited to be people of his presence. Let's be occupied with his presence. Amen? I'm going to close with something practical. What does a presence-centered life look like? Because even Christian circles, we have different cultures where it says it looks like this. It means going to a prayer room and laying down and soaking. That's a presence-centered life. That could be. I've done that, right? But in our day-to-day, outside of Sunday service and being together as a family here, when you guys are at work, when you guys are teaching, when you guys are doing your thing Monday through Saturday, what does a presence-centered life look like? And it's actually quite simple, but not. (laughs) It's called practicing the presence of God. And what I like to do, what I've been practicing these days, it's actually something that goes against our nature. Because you have to have faith to believe that this actually is important. Let God interrupt your flow. When you feel like you're making progress in what you're doing, and what you're toiling for, allow God and give Him room, permission to interrupt your flow. And just take five minutes to step away from it and just close your eyes. And this is what I do I close my eyes and I breathe. <laughs> and I just be. I breathe in God's presence and I breathe out my anxieties. And it's just this acknowledge. God's presence with you. It's like my mom, when I go home, like she loves it when I'm home in America because I'm just there in the house, right? But then, but it's like, that's cool. But, you know, I go hang out with my friends and I do my own thing. But I rationalize it in my mind and say, oh, she's just happy that I'm there. you know. But actually what she really wants is for me to be intentional to meet with her and talk with her and have dinner with her. It's not enough that, this is there. God is there. God is there. But just taking five move, moves God's heart. It's an expression of dependence. It's an expression saying, God, more than me trying to get peace from my progress of my day, I want to find my peace in your presence. God, I acknowledge you're here with me. And right now, I want to say, no matter what's going on, God, you're so good. You're so good. Brother Lawrence, he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And he makes it very simple. Let me read this. He says, He does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces. Past and present, he has bestowed on you. In the midst of your troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company, and the least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. 
One need not cry out very loudly. Here is nearer to us than we think. Can we do that? I challenge us. More than challenge, I just invite us to live presence-centered lives. And the more we acknowledge God's presence, guess what's going to happen? It's like, it's like if someone calls me in caller ID and I don't know who's calling me because I don't see their names, right, these days? It's like, who, hello, who is this, right? But if someone were to call me with a different number but I really know them and I recognize their voice, I'll be able to know their voice. And the more you and I are acclimated and live present-centered lives, guess what? You're going to be able to hear God more clearly. Intimacy with God. Doing life with God. Amen? That's what I want. And then second, so acknowledge throughout your day. Acknowledge Him. Yeah, Practice that. Um, one thing I'll... Uh, sorry. Another thing I'll say about that is when I was in seminary, we had this class called Spiritual Formation at Torch. We had this class called Spiritual Formation. And in this class, we went in. You know what the professor taught us? We sat there. He said, close your eyes. Take some deep breaths. Breathe in God's grace. Breathe out. Five minutes in, I'm passed out. (laughs) Any Torch students in here feel me? Right? David knows. Emily knows. I thought it was the most lame class ever. I was like, I'm paying money for a class like this, like, this class is worthless. I'm just going to take a nap. Grace, you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about, right? Dorothy, you know what I'm talking about. But for real, like, at that time, my mindset was actually a progress-oriented mindset. I'm here to learn and get my degree and learn as much as I can, right? So I can progress in my career, in my vocation as a pastor. Actually, seminary were the most difficult times where I had least connection with God, actually. Because I saw classes like that as worthless. You know? Now, now, I would love to take that class. <laughs> I see such value in that class. Helping us practice God's presence in our lives. Right? And second is meditating on his words day and night. Joshua and David, they were both presence-oriented people. In Joshua, God says, meditate on his words day and night. In Psalm 1 to David, God says, meditate on his words day and night. Immerse yourself in truth. Because that's what it means to be in God's presence as well. Because God's presence is not just some ethereal feeling. God's presence is actually the word of God. Because God is the word of God. It is his voice. The word of God is his presence as well. Right? When you feel anxious and when you feel worried, these are red flags that should serve to invite us into God's presence. His presence is where the eye of the storm is. And I want to encourage us as we live life here in Korea, when so much is happening around us, when the culture around us, everything is about progress. Again, these are not bad things. I'm not saying don't pursue progress. What I'm saying is prioritize pursuing God's presence to the point where you can say, God, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. If I don't have your presence, if I'm not connected with you, I don't want progress. I don't want the promised land. Amen. Let's pray together.